This is your host, Ronnie Fernandez, LCSW, licensed clinical therapist and owner of Ronnie Fernandez Therapy Buffer Guys. If you want to know more about me and my private practice, go to RonnieFernandez.com. Hello and welcome to Mindset, the guy podcast where men talk about their life challenges and how were they, how they were able to overcome them. My goal with this podcast is to help men better express their thoughts and develop a mindset to better deal with, with their life challenges. This podcast is not clinical therapy. The men that I interview are not my clients, but have great stories on how they were able to develop a mindset to conquer their challenges. I'm not a professional interviewer or host, so please forgive me for all the ums, pauses, and misplaced words. With that being said, let me introduce you to my next guest. All right, this is uh, Nick Holt, right? That's your last name. That is my name. <laughs> <laughs> good to see you, buddy. Yeah, good to see you, Nick. Well, me, me and Nick, uh, we met at uh, USC um, when we were getting our master's in social work. And uh, Nick was sharing a story of, um, of a time when he had uh, this really bad surfing accident and um, where he, he broke his neck. And so I just, I remember him telling this story and I was like, wow, I, I kind of want to hear more about it and, um, and, uh, kind of see how, how we, how we can learn from it and how these things just happen sometimes where we're living our life and something suddenly happens. And so, um, I wanted to, to invite Nick and, and, um, and, uh, have us have him in, in, uh, share a story. So thank you for joining me. Nick. Yeah. I'm honored to be here. So let's, uh, let's kind of start from the beginning. Like how did your life look? before the incident so i grew up in santa cruz california and uh i would say that i had a, a middle class kind of lifestyle with my parents and was very fortunate to be able to to have that but there was definitely a lot going on behind the scenes too so my mom has pretty significant medical issues mental health issues substance abuse issues throughout her life um dad wasn't much better when it came to that so um, I remember times where my mom would be in her room with all the lights on, just the flicker of the television, um, you know, just taking a lot of opioid pills. Yeah. And um, she'd be in there for a week. Yeah. And then, you know, there'd be three or four days where she'd be up. She'd be running around, rummaging around, and turns out she was, you know, high on cocaine. So. Yeah. My life wasn't great. I think from an early age, I, I spent a lot of time trying not to be at home. Yeah. So as soon as I could, you know, participating in sports activities, spending time with friends, um, as soon as I could drive, just leaving the property, going surfing, skimboarding, yeah. whatever I could do. Is that how you kind of were able to cope with things was, was surfing, being active? All those, all those type of things. Yeah, completely. I think for, for men, it's very common to kind of channel our emotions and our thoughts into action, and uh, you know, so that I was no different. I think I pr uh, prided myself on how much pain I could tolerate, and then who I was, my identity, my physical prowess, um, what I did. Yeah. And and so, especially surfing, right? That was your big escape at this time. It was, yeah. I used to play baseball. I used to surf, um, but surfing was definitely important to me. Yeah. And and tell me more about the about the incident that that happened, in like that day and kind of. Yeah. So I was 
at that time, I was entering into my junior year. It was the summer of my sophomore year. I was 16 years old. And uh, a buddy and I had really gotten into skimboarding, which is like throwing a surfboard, shape it, piece of wood or fiberglass onto the receding water. Um, as the waves come in, they break, and then they kind of go back into the ocean, and there's a thin layer of water there. And so you run as fast as you can along the sand, and you throw the skimboard down, you jump on it, and you kind of ride that yeah. water. So we're doing that. So we went down to this beach in Aptos um, between beer can and, uh, and platforms. There's like some nice little vacation rentals. And we were just going straight in. I think the surf was maybe three, four foot, breaking right pretty close to the sand. And um, we were just kind of throwing the skimboard down, running as fast as we could, jumping on it, going straight into the whitewash, doing flips, doing spins, just having fun being kids. And so when the right before the injury took place, I threw the board down, jumped on it, and I immediately noticed I was too far forward on the, the nose of the board. So whereas when you want to kind of ride the whitewash, you want to be a little further back, keep your weight back. I was on the nose of the board, so all my weight was on the front of the board. So instead of going over the whitewash, I ran right into the whitewash. The whitewash propelled me into a forward dive, but it was an awkward dive. So when I was coming down into shallow water, um, I couldn't put my arms up. They were like trapped uh, by gravity or whatever was going on at the time. So I landed head first into shallow water and I remember breaking through the water. I remember shortly thereafter hitting the sand and that was my last memory. And when you woke up, what, what did you wake up to? Yeah, so coming, when I came to, I was face down in the ocean, and there was blackness. And uh, so the first thought that I had was that I can't breathe, um, since my face was in salt water. So I tried to pull myself up, but I noticed a pain on the left side of my vertebrae. So instinctively, I took my left hand and I braced it between my chin bone and my clavicle and I pulled my head up to take a breath. So as I'm standing in maybe waist deep water um, with my left hand between my neck and my clavicle, I, my first instinct is that I want to go home to my parents' house and I want to sit down on the couch and just rest. And so I go to take a step and I try to move my right foot, but my right foot doesn't move. My left foot moves. And then I go to move my left foot. My left foot doesn't move. My right foot moves. My right foot bumps into my left. I trip myself, fall directly into the water um, and just float there. And at that point I recognized that something was wrong. And I got, I got to get very scared yeah. because at that point, I'm not going to be able to move. I'm thinking all sorts of things. So I, I definitely said a bit of a prayer yeah. uh, and I tried to do it again. Still left hand stands up 
in the water, go to move my left foot, left foot moves. Go to move my right foot, right foot moves. It's like hallelujah moment and decided yeah. to go and, and rest on the sand. Yeah. Wow. And what did you what happened after that? Were you able to go to the hospital or Yeah, so I was there with a buddy, uh, Daniel. Um, we were skimboarding that day and so I just went and just laid it on the sand. He came over maybe five, ten minutes later, uh, checking in on me, you know, typical hypermasculine. Yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. Don't worry about <laughs> me. Shake it off. Put the magic sand on there, right? <laughs> Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, yeah. all, all the good stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I, uh, yeah, essentially I got this. Like, I've, I've been through worse. I, I can do this. And so um, he, he took me at my word. And he kind of went back to skimboarding and another certain amount of time. My time orientation was definitely off. Um, I didn't realize it at the time. But then about 20 minutes later, this lady from those condos comes down and she's like, I, I saw your fall. I'm a nurse. Um, I saw you grab your neck. I'm worried about you. Wow. And we were talking for, for a little bit. Um, but again, same thing. I'm okay. I got this. I just want to rest a little bit. I'm going to get back in the car. I'm going to drive home. Things will be fine. Yeah. And so she left. She took me out, took me out my word. Her daughter comes down, same thing. Um, and then finally, uh, she, the, the lady came back and she's like, it's been an hour that you've been laying here. And in my mind, it felt like 10 minutes. And at that point, I knew that this was pretty se severe. Yeah. So um, essentially, it, she said she called, and she also took control, I think, which is the other thing that was easy for me to kind of let go of yeah. and kind of let her lead and steer, steer me a bit. She said, I called 911. They're on their way. Just rest here and wait for them to come. Yeah. And then what happened after that? What did you... So they, they essentially, uh, uh, somebody was parked in the red zone, so they, the ambulance couldn't get down to the beach. <laughs> wow. Uh, and so the, I think the, the firefighters walked through the sand with that um, plastic, yeah. you know, orange uh, board and one of those big old overinflated uh, neck braces. And they were talking with me about what was going on. Um, and they finally, they had a great strategy with me. They essentially said, you know, we just want to get you to the hospital. Um, we'll let the doctors, you know, check you out. If you're fine, you can go home and just go on your way. And I was able to buy into that. So they um, took me to the hospital. And, uh, and that's where I was. Yeah. And how was your, when did you find out that it was, it was a broken neck? Or yeah, so I, I think um, my parents came. They were freaked out in the hospital, obviously. Um, my relationship wasn't great with my mother, especially at the time. So I was just kind of telling her to just leave me alone. Um, it turns out one of my old baseball um, kids that I played baseball with, his dad was a was an ER doc. And so they went and put me in to do the x-rays. Um, and uh, he was the one who delivered the news that, you know, Nick, this is serious. Uh, you've essentially blown out, like the x-ray, I, I still have it somewhere, just shattering a vertebrae. So on the left side of my vertebrae, I'd essentially blown out, there, there's seven vertebrae in your neck, in your cervical column. I had blown out C5. C5 vertebrae was completely gone. 
and C4, 6, and 7 were fractured. Um, and so he was the one, thankfully, who broke that news. And then at that point, um, I think the next goal was really for them to stabilize me. And what did the, what did the um, did you have surgeries after, or was it? Uh, oh yeah, lots of steps. We, yeah. we can we can go yeah, into no, the grand. Go, yeah, no, let's let's go, like, this this is. I mean, first of all, it's, is that it's it's a story for all of us. I mean, for for men, we we definitely don't seek help. And and that's part of the the, the, the big issue is that you know um, we, we don't say we're, we're really good at hiding our feelings, hiding our um, emotions, the, our physical pain, and so I think sometimes a lot of times we just think that we can do that that it's just going to work all the time, and the time that we do need help, if somebody's not there, then bad things happen. And so, um, that, I, I, yeah, I, I think it's it's important to like to talk about about that. So thank you for sharing. I mean, I really appreciate you going into detail about it because those are the little things that we don't often talk about. You know, absolutely. And so, what did that look like? The the this, the this, the surgeries and and all that. Yeah. Well, even before I go into that, I mean, I think we've talked before about being men and and. Uh, you know, some of the core beliefs of being defective or weak or incompetent or inadequate and how that can be such a, a trigger for us, if you will, um, to not ask for help, to not reach out, uh, to fear vulnerability. Um, and, and I think, you know, you and I um, very much have, have clearly learned the lesson that, you know, it, it can, there's such a strength to, in being a man who can be comfortable and feel safe within vulnerability and being exposed uh, and the value and the fruits that you kind of uh, reap with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely the, the finding the balance. I, I think with our generation, we have to tell men to talk, to talk more and share more of their feelings. And now maybe with what we're teaching the younger generations, it's kind of like okay, now we need to like you know, <laughs> like, there needs to be a filter. There, there needs, yeah, there, yeah, there needs to be. A, I think a, a balance. Yeah, you know that. Also. that and uh, you know, one of the things that kind of started me with this podcast and with going on my own is is seeing that that kind of trend of like, and the stuff that we give kids now is like you're gonna have to overcome that challenge totally. And so, and I think this big reason why we're starting this is we need to find a balance of like when we need to like just kind of like you know grind it out and times where we need to ask for help and yeah and um so yeah, yeah absolutely just because we're feeling anxiety doesn't mean we have to stop what we're doing or it doesn't mean we have to act out or whatever like i think growth comes from discomfort the, the tolerance and the ability to guide and navigate through discomfort can be really really important and i think that's part of this story that i'm sharing today mm -hmm. too is that there was so much discomfort, there was so much unknown, there was so much um, uncertainty, yeah. and to really um, be open to that and to accept that uh, really bred a lot of that. But I, I can get back to uh, yeah. the facts, if you will. <laughs> we could riff for hours. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So, but yeah, we'll, we'll come back at the end and talk more about about it. And uh, sounds good. But, but yeah, this, uh, about the surgeries. What did that look like? Yeah. So, so once they realized the severity of uh, the accident, I think at that point um, 
they knew they needed to stabilize. And so what they decided to do is, I don't know if you're familiar, but essentially they put me into a halo. And a halo, um, the process of that was just excruciating. So what they do is they take uh, four screws and they drill them into your skull. So two on the front, just like Frankenstein, mm -hmm. and then two behind the ear. And um, because it was a neck injury and because the um, spinal column is, is in that area of the injury, they couldn't put any sort of um, pain medication. They didn't want to put me out. So they had to mm -hmm. use local um, pain relief at the site of the, of the uh, screws where they were going to be inserted into my skull. The problem with that is that doesn't cover the pressure of a screw being going, of going into your skull. So the, the process <laughs> <Yeah>. of that, <laughs> yeah, everyone's shaking in their chairs. <laughs> it was just excruciating. And that happened four times. Um, and then uh, after that, the other part that I don't think I really fully appreciated until it happened is, is then they attach those bolts with metal. So you essentially have a ring going around your head. Yeah. But, but what you don't think about is that those bolts are now part of your brain, essentially. Wow. So every time they try to move the metal yeah. and it clinks or clanks or bonks or whatever, you feel that inside of your head. So after that process was complete, yeah. um, the next thing, like this whole time, I'm in board shorts, sand. Uh, I'm on a metal board, so like the back, the back of my body is just going numb. Um, the sand is grinding on my heels against the metal, so there's just complete uh, discomfort. Um, so they finally moved me off the metal board into like a padded bed, which felt amazing, as you can imagine. Yeah. And then they decided to move me upstairs. And when they moved me upstairs, they also wanted to keep me stabilized. Um, so they had me hooked up to what's called traction, which is essentially that halo was attached to a certain amount of weight. And in my case, because of the severity of the injury, there was 30 pounds pulling on the top of my head um, to align my, my vertebrae. So after... The surgeries. You didn't even talk about the surgeries, right? You were just talking about the. <laughs> like I said, I could go. We still got more. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is all the stabilization. This is just the stabilization. Uh, wow. And what did what did so? How many surgeries did did you? Well, so I, I, and I can try to be a little quicker here, but essentially from that point, the the um, doctor had two options for me. He either wanted me to. Um, let the injury heal in a halo and then in like eight or nine months trying to set the neck vertebrae which that didn't sound like a great idea to yeah. me or my family and the other option was to cement all of my vertebrae together so essentially i could only move by my waist and no, i would have no more range of motion in my neck yeah my parents didn't like either of those options um and so this is this was just an amazing process here. So they called, my dad called his sister who lived in New Jersey. 
Nobody picked up, but uh, the house cleaner happened to be there at the time, heard the voicemail that my father was leaving, picked up the phone and said they're in Palo Alto visiting friends, gave the number to the house in Palo Alto. My dad called the house in Palo Alto, told the, them the situation of what was happening, and they said, we're sitting down with the head of Stanford Hospital right now. Let me, let me put him on the phone. He, he talked to my father about the situation, and essentially uh, he said, my head of neurosurgery will call you tomorrow. And so the next day, my dad gets a call from the head of neurosurgery at Stanford Hospital. Um, how, can I, how can I help you? Wow. So later that day, a helicopter came down from Stanford to the local hospital, which was Dominican. Um, this team of nurses pops out of this uh, helicopter like some uh, TV show and uh, comes in and just swoops me up, takes me up on the helicopter, um, and I go up to Stanford. Later that night, I was signing my life away, essentially. Uh, they did an eight-hour surgery, stuck a camera down my throat to make sure they didn't cut my um, trachea. Um, and uh, they removed all the bone fragments. Um, they removed the halo. They had a three-level fusion. There was donor vertebrae that was placed into my neck. Um, and then I was done. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's, wow. I, I, Speechless is an appropriate yeah, I, 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 response. To, to I'm trying to unpack that right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, water break. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, it's it's just it's been amazing. I mean, interviewing different people, and there's always some sort of like get a coincidence miracle absolutely uh in in like every every story it was know? totally miraculous wow and so okay yeah we'll have to come back, to that. <laughs> I don't to come back. so how, how did the so all that is is done and how was the how was the recovery yeah so so i think um Let's see, the surgery took place at like midnight. I was back in a room by like uh, the morning. Um, later that afternoon, I was kind of aware and conscious of what was going on. I just remember my whole face was like a giant like pimple because of all the medications and the, the cycling of things and the stress and all this stuff. Um, so I was in the hospital that day. Uh, <laughs> My, my sister's a doctor in physical therapist, therapy, uh, so like we kind of joke about the, the hatred of a PT a little bit because they, they come in and want you to do all the things that you don't want to do, and yeah. my experience was no different. Oh. Like that same day, they were having me sit up, and I was like, I don't want to sit up, and you know, sit up. Yeah. Next, I was there the next day, had a bunch of friends who came through. Again, the PT was like on me, um, you know, we're going to go step up, we're going to stand up and we're going to walk down the halls. Um, and I did all that uh, with, with the PT's coaching. And then uh, the next day they discharged me. So then I was going back home uh, to Santa Cruz with the family. Wow. And so you're, you're back home. All the outlets that you have before are, are gone, you know, as far as like 
going out, being active and stuff, and you're and you're and you're home now. Yeah, that that was actually. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting you bring that up because it was so true. I mean, I remember when I got the news about um, how severe the injury was. I remember thinking, like, you know, am I going to be able to walk again? Am I going to be able to surf again? Uh, will I ever be able to be uh, sexual with a woman? Yeah. Uh, will I? Will anybody desire me? Um, I, the the doctor at the Dominican. He actually, when I asked him in kind of a moment of vulnerability, you know, will I be able to surf again? He laughed at me. He said, you're lucky you're alive right now, let alone that you're not paralyzed. And essentially the reason why is because the artery to the brain is right next to the uh, spinal cord. And so that when I blew out that left side of my vertebrae, I could have been dead. Wow. And so how, how were you able to, to deal with all that stuff? Yeah. Um, well, how, I mean, how was that process like? It was brutal. Um, there's a lot of things that I think I took away from that. I mean, I, I wish I could say that there was this magical intervention where everything was different. But, I mean, I think I struggled with uh, that event for years. I, I mean, I think at a certain extent I still struggle Um with the vulnerability of that of that time but definitely getting home uh, you know i used to sleep on my stomach i couldn't sleep on my stomach anymore i had to learn to sleep on my back i remember moments being in the hospital where i was in the halo and i had to sleep on my back and i was in pain and i couldn't move and and even now i have flashbacks to that like if i sleep on on my back i'll have moments where i remember those those times of discomfort and, and pain um so it's just a, a long adjustment process. Taking showers had a whole new meaning. Trying to move to check something too fast hurt like crazy because uh, I would be moving my neck. Um, trying to be in a car or, you know, spending time with friends who are all doing their own things and, and I'm, I can't go surf. Um, I'm on the shore just watching them have fun and go do things that I love. So it, it could have been really easy for you to stay in in that and just being pissed off, right? Just being upset all the time. Completely. How how were you able to? I mean, first of all, well, did you get to that point? And how did you and how did you get out? Yeah, no, I, I was definitely upset. I had a lot of rage, um, a lot of frustration. Um, you know, I, I don't think I was like fully formed, fully conscious uh, at that time. So there's a lot of recklessness in general in my life um, from my kind of primary attachments uh, and family. I, there, the lesson was uh, substance abuse is kind of the path to uh, intimacy and connection. So I definitely fell down into that. Some uh, Definitely a lot of binge drinking and um, inappropriateness related to that. I think the most dramatic shift between the before and the after was um, I think before I was very socially insecure. I was kind of isolated, even though I had a lot of friends, mm -hmm. especially when it came to girls. My relationship with women at that time was just really not uh, healthy. Um, and so I kind of flipped. So coming, coming uh, out of the injury, I really focused myself so much more on hanging out with friends and partying and uh, trying to, uh, spend time with women. Yeah. 
uh, was really the goal. And it was it wasn't it wasn't a um, great process, but it was was also something that um, I just I didn't want to be alone. Like I felt in that hospital bed all by myself yeah. with nobody there, no nurses coming, no friends around me. Yeah. And so, so you were going out more, hanging out more, drinking more, doing more like reckless things, right? Definitely. And what, what made that, that's, how did that make that switch? Like to like, look, I got to kind of. To now? To, how was that, how was that, pro- how did that process look from going out all the time to, oh, I see. to like getting some goals and focusing <laughs> and that kind of stuff. Well, I, how, how, long, how long was that process? That took a while. Yeah. How, no. how, how, how long? Yeah. So I it probably took until college. college. I think college is where I started to kind of uh, change things a little bit. But again, I mean, I was functioning. Uh, I was not getting great grades by any stretch of the imagination, but I was still doing a bunch of stuff. Um, you know, after the injury, um, my goal was to get back on a surfboard and uh, the doctor that I was seeing up at Stanford uh, recommended kind of discontinuing some risky uh, behaviors, whether it's like no roughhousing, no football, uh, no basketball kind of a thing. Don't ski. Um, but surfing was a priority in my life. And so that was one of the things that I was willing to risk yeah. myself for. And so a year after the injury, I was able to paddle out with friends. Um, and that was a really beautiful moment. How often are you surfing now? Oh, you know how life is with kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, sorry, family. More kids. More kids. <laughs> I'm going to go for the next four hours. Care for myself. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I've traveled. You yeah. know, I've been to... Um, Central America, you know, El Salvador, Costa Rica, Panama, uh, Mexico, um, Ecuador, Indonesia, New Zealand. What was the places yeah. for surfing? Well, how was that first step going from the neck injury, the 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 halo to all right? Now I'm going to start start surfing. It was uh, it just felt good. I mean, I I was salivating on the shore for for months, uh, watching friends get out there and have fun and. I think there was just such a relief and, and such like a um, sense of competence and, and confidence uh, to just to be able to take that next, next step and to be out there with friends and to connect in that way with my friends, to be in the ocean, to be with nature, to be with my friends, to be able to do something that I love. There's such gratitude. Was there any anxiety like from all right i got my surfboard here like if we're gonna do this or, or was it just it was just so much like you just had to get out there without even thinking um i'd i think more the latter than the former but definitely throughout my time surfing or or doing other things um you know there's been times when i've landed awkwardly when i've hit funny when i've had residual neck pain that's really scared me um and i definitely always will follow up um to make sure everything is still good and in alignment, get the x-rays, do the extra work just to make sure things are okay. I'm also a big proponent of like uh, body work. So like massage and stuff too. try to do that to kind of stress, de-stress. Was there anything that you had to do that, um, that motivated you to get to that point of like, I'm going to start surfing or did you have to 
stop something or was it just as soon as you were good, you win? <laughs> um, yeah, just trying to build the, the surrounding muscle has always been something important to me. Yeah. Um, so trying to build the neck muscles, keep them strong, stretch, um, make, maintain that flexibility. Yeah. And it, what would what, what life lessons did you learn from all this? Oh, loads. Um, I think in general, I think you have to uh, – being comfortable with discomfort is a major lesson. Um, I've found in my life that the times when I grow the most are when I am uncomfortable, when I've said something that's been insensitive or done something that's hurt somebody, um, even if it was my execution – differed from my intention um, to be aware of those moments and so this is no different I think going from a place of um, not having the ability to move um, being restricted in a bed to and, and going through the thoughts and the anxieties and the fears and the worries and being able to kind of coach myself uh, through that process and support myself through that process has really yielded great dividends when it comes to that. I also don't think that it's an easy, you know, there's not a magical one thing that, that was helpful. I think it's just a, you know, we as humans, I think we drift and we return, right? Yeah. So that process of returning, reflecting, finding support, finding care, safety, um, that has always been important to me, whether that's uh, good friends that I trust or doing my own psychotherapy, whatever it might be, to really come in and uh, it's it's maintenance. Yeah. And who who or or like incidents that kind of helped you through the, through the process? Yeah. So I I um. I think I had some really good friends um, at the time. I had a lot of really good, um, I was friends with the families of some friends, and they were very helpful. Um, you know, my parents, uh, sister, of course, and as well as um, one of my dad's good buddies uh, was like a, always like a second dad to me, um, providing, you know, support and um, needing those wise words when I needed it. And then definitely from, from high school on, I've, I've really committed myself to doing my own therapy. I think that's a critical part of it. Yeah. Uh, and then just activity still. I mean, you know, I've been better at finding ways of, of coping and uh, rejuvenating that aren't solely action-based. Yeah. Um, so I've kind of supplemented that uh, with other things, but I still still go out. I still like to go to the gym. I still like to be active with the family, um, surfing, um, different pursuits. What about, <clears throat> what about people? So if somebody, so I want to ask you, um, what, what's helpful for, for, um, what would you tell somebody else? But also, well, let's start first. If somebody, if it happens to somebody else, like a f somebody's friend where where they where they this incident happens and and they're they they can't do the things that they used to do what ways can they support support them was, was there some uh, was there an incident where um just talking to you about it or, or just you know what i'm saying like 
how can people better support somebody that's gone through something that you've been through? Yeah, I'm hearing two questions from you, right? It's yeah. like, as an individual who's going through that process, you know, what would you recommend? And then as a family member or support of somebody who's going through that process, what do you recommend? And I, and I, um, I think there are answers there. Like, as in somebody who's gone through something significant like this myself, um, just the reminder that you're not alone is an important one that this is like a, a process uh, and there, yeah, you going through this process has nothing to do uh, with you per se. It's, it's the process that you're undergoing. So how are you going to care for yourself and just be reminded that again, you're not alone. This is normal uh, for the situation that you're going through that there's people out there who, who care for you and, and want the best for you and to try to find those places where you feel most uh, comfortable to connect, um, to, to be vulnerable, to, to feel safe. And then again, as a family member of support, um, I think what I needed most at that time uh, is just the, the conversation starter, you know, just like a sincere, like, how are you doing? And then not trying to fill the space. Yeah. But just really caring for the response. Yeah. And just kind of sitting there with, with somebody. You know, it's um, being in a kind of, you know, like a situation where we're like, I don't know if I should call them or I don't know. You know what I mean? Like just kind of sitting there with, with the person, you know, and really asking them how they're doing waiting for that pause like the pause is okay you know <laughs> yeah. what i care about is not talking to fill the space right like so many times i think when we're talking to people we just we're we're asking a question so we get to talk yeah yeah absolutely yeah. like really thinking intentionally about i'm asking this question because the only thing i care about is what your experience is yeah and and i, I think what you're saying about about discomfort i think it goes both ways I mean, it goes as far as like growing but also um sitting somewhere sitting with somebody in a in a in a uncomfortable situation completely you know and, and not trying to fix yeah there's nothing you can do you know your, your neck is broken there's nothing nothing you can do i can do anything about it all i can do is sit here with you right absolutely any other any other takeaways to sum everything up or anything that like you feel that it's important no, I just, well, I just want to thank you for giving me space here to, to talk about this. Um, really honored to be here and support what you're doing and really excited for you. And I think it's important to uh, have these types of conversations. So I'm happy to be happy to be doing it. All right. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it, man. Yeah.